Hi everyone, it's Stephen here and a very happy new year to you. Sandy and I are currently taking a little bit of a break and we'll be back with the first episode of the second series of Now and Men in February. But in the meantime, we wanted to revisit episode 29 of the podcast from June of last year, where we explored masculinity and meat eating and men's experiences of veganism with Dr. Kadri Arvik from Tallinn University. With being veganuary in the UK and a number of other countries currently, this episode seemed particularly topical to go back to. And we were recently contacted by the UK Vegan Society, who wanted to share with us an interesting campaign which they've launched called Vegan and Thriving. This examines barriers to men becoming vegan because the vast majority of vegans in the UK do continue to be women, as we discuss in this episode. And so the campaign seeks to break down stereotypes suggesting that this somehow isn't a very masculine thing to do. On a personal level, I'm also now trying to be vegan myself, so it's a discussion which is of much interest to me, and I hope it is to you as well. So enjoy the episode if you didn't get a chance to listen to it before, and do check out the rest of our back episodes as well if you haven't yet done so. And yeah, we'll be back with a new episode soon, as I say. And in the meantime, make sure to subscribe to Now Men in your podcast app so that you're notified as soon as it's out. Thanks very much and take care. So hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Now and Men, the podcast about men, masculinities and gender equality. Um, I'm Sandy Ruxton, and I'm here with Stephen Burrell. Hi, Sandy. Hi, everybody. Yes, for today's episode, we're looking at men's engagement with veganism. And we have with us Dr. Kadri Arvik, who is an Associate Professor of Gender Studies in the School of Governance, Law and Society at Tallinn University in Estonia. Yes, Kadri has conducted a really interesting range of research on gender and gender inequalities, and also on critical animal studies, including human-animal relations, animal advocacy, and vegan movements, and eco-feminism. She's got a new book out, which has just been published by Palgrave Macmillan, and it's called Contesting Anthropocentric Masculinities Through Veganism, Lived Experiences of Vegan Men, and we'll be talking to her about this today. Yeah, and Kadri's also the editor, or one of the editors, of another new book which is coming out called The Routledge Handbook of Men, Masculinities and Organisations. Um, but yeah, hi Kadri, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Sandy, and hi Stephen, and thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you about uh, vegan men and masculinities. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for, for, for coming on the show. Um, yeah, so perhaps to start off with... Um, Perhaps for people who might not be familiar with this topic or have, a, you know, have an understanding of, of the gender dynamics of it, could you say a little bit about, um, you know, why is it that food and eating can be seen as being kind of gendered issues? And, and what are some of the ways in which they are kind of linked to masculinity in particular? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there are actually very important links uh, between uh, food, eating and gender. And, um, you know, somewhat different foods are, are considered appropriate for different genders. Um, and this also stems from uh, you know, different cultural ideas about what uh, our bodies should look like and what they should do. And as, as, you, as we have all observed, uh, certain foods are, are culturally more associated with uh, masculinity. Uh, that's particularly meat and also especially certain kinds of meat, uh, like, for instance, beef. Um, and you know, meat is uh, really equated still with uh, with protein, and uh, and uh, still you know uh, in kind of mainstream knowledge, animal protein is considered the best uh, way to maintain and gain you know physical strength and muscle, and so particularly men are encouraged to consume meat. So definitely, uh, eating meat uh, still remains a powerful norm. Uh, um, 
for many men through which to do masculinity. And then when we talk about women, um, you know, and so uh, at the same time, dieting and, and sort of more lean foods are, are mainly targeted at women. Um, but and, you know, when we think of different kinds of animal products uh, like dairy and, and, you know, cheese among those products, they are more associated with femininity and considered appropriate foods for women. Um, but um, and but yeah, there's one interesting thing also to mention that. While we have those uh, very powerful uh, links between uh, eating meat and masculinity, uh, for instance, um, there are some vegan men uh, like vegan bodybuilders. It's kind of a recent uh, phenomenon, but they have uh, they are active on social media, for instance. So they kind of challenge this uh, link, and um, they are vegan, but they are sort of muscular. But at the same time, they do not challenge um, these links between masculinity and physical strength and muscle. So they kind of leave, leave that intact. So I think that's very interesting. Mm. Yeah. So I think one of the fascinating things about your research, which I'm sure we'll explore more, is, is how men engage in different ways with veganism and, and masculinity. Yeah. I mean, perhaps just, just as we're starting, could you perhaps just briefly say, like, what, what is veganism? You know, to somebody who's still quite new to that as a as a as a topic, as an issue, as a as a way of being, like, could yeah, could you just say like how how we might try and define it? Yes, thank you for that question, and uh, maybe it's not so straightforward <laughs> even because there are so different <laughs> definitions in a way. Um, so maybe mm. one of the most uh, um, uh, well known uh, kind of uh, definitions come comes from the UK Vegan Society, and and um, they kind of talked about uh, veganism as a way to uh, minimize harm uh, to other animals, non-human animals. Uh, so it doesn't, um, you know, the minimize harm is kind of important wording because uh, obviously we, we can't, um, by just living, being alive and uh, doing things in our everyday lives, we, we can't uh, always stop like all harm. But it's about like doing whatever we can, I would say, in our capacity to minimize it. Um, and uh, But there are like different and maybe a bit competing definitions. And uh, maybe one of the most popular ones is, you know, veganism is a diet. It's, it's, you know, something like just that what we eat. And this kind of like um, mm -hmm. neglects, uh, neglects these uh, kind of power relations between human and humans and animals and very much focuses on human beings. Yeah, so there are somewhat mm -hmm. different definitions. And, and yeah, in my book, in my work, uh, I yeah, definitely uh, consider those power relations and, and think of veganism as a, this kind of broader philosophy, um, a set of values really to, to minimize harm. And um, I guess not only to to animals but also you know other human beings so maybe yeah mm. that's important <laughs> mm, mm. Oh, absolutely yeah and um i saw i suppose there's a range of reasons in which um somebody might want to become vegan i guess isn't there like that could include ethical reasons environmental reasons wanting to care for animals um for health reasons as well um yeah and so so you've done um some really interesting research with with men who are vegan about uh, about their kind of experiences uh, which is what your book is about um so yeah could perhaps could you just tell us briefly you know what what the research you've done involved and what the kind of main motivations were among the men that you interviewed about you know why why they became vegan mm -hmm. yeah so basically uh for this research i uh, interviewed i spoke to 61 uh, vegan men uh, based in northern europe so and specifically in estonia and in finland mm. 
yeah, but actually, uh, previously, um, most research on vegans, um, it has been done in kind of Anglo-American contexts, and so uh, it was interesting to explore another context. And I, I'm Estonian myself, and so I've been working in Finland, so I was familiar with that context. But yeah, so um, it's based on uh, these interviews uh, in which I spoke to these men about you know what it means for them to be vegan, to become vegan, different aspects of veganism in their lives. So, so very kind of a broad range of topics. But yeah, if you ask about these motivations, so basically, um, uh, as you maybe know, um, the main motivations for, for vegans um, have to do with uh, three you know, sets of reasons. So um, becoming vegan for animals, uh, for environment mm -hmm. and for your own health, basically. And um, so, at, uh, um, so uh, these men actually, there were th these uh, reasons were represented definitely. Um, and uh, when I spoke to them at the time of the interviews, the most common reason was, you know, they beca had become vegan for other animals. Um, but um, also these other reasons were somewhat important. And it was also interesting to see like how someone could start from uh, maybe purely or mainly health related reasons. But then as they um, had been vegan for a while, uh, their kind of knowledge about veganism uh, um, expanded as they were, you know, looking mm. for more information. And then they made links and, and learned about um, the devastating impact of um, animal farming and eating animals uh, on the climate, for instance. And, you know, that is being mm. increasingly talked about, too, in more mainstream media. Mm. Um, and also the health uh, kind of benefits. Uh, and then uh, um, very many actually said that, yeah, they are... They, they have several reasons why they are currently vegan um, and maybe the main one animals for many, but, uh, you know, the environmental and health reasons also kind of important. Uh, so, yeah, these these were very uh, represented there. <laughs> mm. And did you see masculine was masculinity a, in your view? Like, was that a big factor in in their motivations? You know, like, was it, for example, was there a lot of arguments being made about, you know, like what the scientific rational justifications or actually were their motivations more actually challenging some of these dominant ideas about masculinity that that men shouldn't care for other living things um and that actually they were they were questioning that perhaps you know yeah yeah that, this is also really interesting and I, I covered that aspect a little bit um so uh um, for, for them, basically, uh, this kind of, uh, for many men, this care um, actually about these animals uh, and even like emotions um, that they felt in relation to the animals, it was really important. Uh, but uh, when I talked to them about how they communicate veganism to others, particularly mm. to men and non-vegan men, they kind of said that, you know, um, sensing how other people see them and they see like, you know, there are these cultural ideas about men not supposed, not, they shouldn't be, you know, seen, seen as so emotional, then they were wary of, uh, of emphasizing this care and emotionality, mm -hmm. but they, they did kind of um, um, uh, use also the rational argumentation and the kind of facts about, you know, climate impact and things. So, and then some of them actually saw that as a problem and they were really cognizant of this, that, you know, maybe we are reproducing those uh, mm, ideas about masculinity that are problematic. So that was a very interesting aspect. There was this clear distinction between the kind of what they themselves uh, personally uh, felt and believed in and then how they represented veganism. As you're talking, uh, Kadri, you're making me wonder about your own experience of veganism, if I can ask you about that. I mean, when did you actually become vegan and has your relationship with veganism changed over time? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, I have been a vegan for 18 years. I became vegan in 2005 <laughs> and I did it in Estonia where veganism was completely unknown at the time. And um, in one uh, grocery store, there was one kind of soy milk. <laughs> and yeah, there was, it's really, it was really uh, difficult, but also, I guess, fun, you know. And um, I started in a way you could say that for maybe health related reasons, but soon I, I it, you know, the main motivation was um, became animal rights. And then I learned about the environmental links later. Um, and so basically, yeah, um, um, I know that, you know, I, I'm working as an academic and this is a bit more recent that I have incorporated uh, vegan, you know, studying vegans and veganism uh, into my research topics. And I'm so there's that, you know, personal values and links. And I think also it's such an interesting um, and rich area to study. So I kind of uh, definitely my, my values influenced uh, this this yeah. work. And I think um, the fact that, you know, um, my own veganism really influenced, uh, shaped uh, my study and interviewing these me vegan men because um, I think they were more open, uh, you know, discussing certain aspects of veganism with me as another vegan. For instance, um, kind of some uncomfortable situations, uh, interactions with non-vegans, uh, it's easier to discuss mm. with another mm. vegan, perhaps, you know. So I think that was important. Yeah. And did you start off being vegetarian and then move to being vegan? Is that is that a track that people quite often follow? Uh, yes, I did, actually. So I became vegetarian first and I was sev for seven years vegetarian. And actually, I, I did not know of veganism, really, and um, didn't make those links. And I was really believing that I'm not harming animals while I was actually eating dairy products. Um, and that's a common link. And, and for the men in the study, um, there was also that path uh, that um, at least some of them took, that they were first vegetarian and then became uh, vegan. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier the connections between veganism and, um, you know, eating meat being kind of culturally identified as a, a masculine practice. Do you, do you want to say a bit more about that um you know why why is that where's that come from i think it has to do also you know um maybe there's power relations that you know the hierarchies that we have uh, um uh, us as human beings and, and men sort of at the top of social hierarchy and then we humans at the top of you know hierarchy of being beings in a way of course the hierarchies are being challenged right now but so um Maybe it relates to this kind of idea of patriarchy too, that, you know, historically uh, we have observed uh, like patterns of men's ownership of women and non-human animals, you know, and unfortunately animals uh, continue to be still um, owned, you know, in the capitalist system. And even now, you know, um, uh, those with a greater number of animals, they are able to accumulate more wealth and on relying and on and exploiting their animals' reproductive uh, capacities uh, pretty much. And so I think it has yeah. to do with these hierarchies as well. And as I said, I think uh, with these, uh, these ideas that um, you really need uh, these animal products to sustain yourself and to gain muscle. And of course, uh, muscle is more associated with men and masculinity. So it's mm. often considered unthinkable. How can you, particularly as a man, uh, like not consume animals? Yeah. And you've also mentioned um, health quite a bit already, but uh, is, it, is it true that, that men's diets, generally speaking, I'm, you know, generalizing horribly here, are tend to be less healthy than women's diets? Is that right? Yes, that's that's uh, what has been found in uh, yeah statistical and, and quantitative research. So uh, I, I also for my book I quoted some of that research, but uh, that's true that uh, overall, you know, men's uh, meat consumption is higher than uh, that of women. 
and that causes all sorts of uh, health problems as well. And yes, the diets tend to be um, unhealthier. Mm-hmm. So that is that is a reason for pushing, you know, um, plant-based diets more towards men, isn't it? Definitely. And uh, yeah, so in, in another paper, I actually uh, looked at this with a colleague, I know, uh, uh, sort of uh, basically based on the same interviews with these uh, Finnish and Estonian vegan men, um, like how they perceive their own uh, health behavior and how it has changed. And in fact, uh, we found that, um, you know, becoming vegan uh, for men, um, it kind of transformed, there was a transformation towards uh, more like healthier masculinity, maybe, you know, better health behavior. And it's interesting that actually in, in, in among these men that I interviewed, um, there are, there's a, there are several who are sort of, they call themselves junk food vegans. So they really want to distance themselves from this healthy eating, you know, because um, in, in, in the vegan community, this kind of health food veganism is a, um, sometimes considered as very um, selfish and egoistic and all about the humans and, you know, and, but we should be vegan for the animals. So they, these, there were men who also distanced themselves from this healthy eating. Uh, but while, while they were doing so, in fact, um, when they became vegan, uh, they, they, they learned a lot about food and nutrition. And also, you know, as a vegan, you need to make sure you have, uh, you know, adequate levels of B, vitamin B12 or something. And then they learned about this and they actually... Uh, did learn, you know, cooking and, and uh, there was definitely there were tendencies towards, um, uh, you know, eating, uh, eating healthier, I would say. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, because I suppose as well, um, I think you mentioned at the beginning, like typically men tend to be less involved in household cooking, uh, right, compared to, to women. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any explanations for why that is? Like why, you know, is that because cooking is seen as being quite a feminized activity? Um, and if so, is that something which is changing and, and can veganism help to, to shift and challenge some of these perceptions in your, in your view? Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, um, cooking in the household is a very feminized activity and definitely undervalued. Um, um, and of course, uh, when we think of cooking uh, more broadly, different kinds of cooking in different settings, for instance, when you think of the top chefs who own restaurants and, you know, Gordon Ramsay and people like that. So they tend to be these men who are very mm. high earning and very it's very prestigious, you know. Mm. But when you think of who cooks in uh, canteens and, you know, school kitchens, of course, these are low paid women. So it's very very interesting that way but mm. definitely the, the household cooking men have historically been uh, less in, involved in that activity uh, that everyday mm. feeding of the family in particular mm. and in my research it was um, it was quite a minor aspect that I studied and I think I should it should be studied uh, more but mm. um, as I as I noted uh, you know there was this increased uh, interest in, in food and cooking in the men um, you know, that emerged in the interviews, um, and also uh, taking up more home uh, home cooking um, um, was was visible as well. But I think um, there is a big difference between, uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, cooking some interesting plant based meals and experimenting with food versus like ev- everyday feeding of the family, which I think mm. is still very <laughs> feminized. And so I'm not sure, mm. and I I can't say anything profound about this. Whether and to what extent men's veganism is transformative in that aspect. So I think it should be studied more, but I think there's some potential. Mm. Actually, I wonder as well. Like, do you think that that could be a factor which does puts because uh, women are much more likely to be vegans and vegetarians, aren't they, than men? Um, 
you know, I think is it a third? Did you, I think in your book did you say it's about a third of um, in most countries of vegans are, are men? And um, I mean, do you think that is one factor that it's just you know, and I would actually consider myself in this. You know, people just don't quite know like um, how they could cook like good, nice vegan food. You know, like we've all got some recipes uh, which we use on a day to day basis and just don't quite know like. Um, you know, a good good vegan recipes, and perhaps men in particular might f- not feel very confident about that. Like, I mean, is that a factor at all? Do you think? Or? Yes, definitely. And some of the men I spoke to, they admitted that they, um, their previous knowledge of uh, cooking and, and food and nutrition was uh, really inadequate. They didn't know, mm. they hadn't been taught. And mm. they kind of uh, felt that with veganism, they were in a way forced to learn this in a way. Mm. Um, you know, particularly if you live alone and you, yeah. you have to... Uh, suddenly you have to, or you don't have to, you choose to replace uh, mm, some key uh, um, ingredients that you cook mm. with in a way and, and you learn to do it in new ways. So you learn about those ingredients, you learn about uh, what um, um, what makes you full and, and what, what makes you feel good. So it's a process of learning that they engaged in. But there was one interesting aspect that um, in a way uh, um, uh, maintains those uh, gendered hierarchies here that... Um, uh, when the men spoke about a kind of family gatherings that they now attend as a vegan, then um, very typically it was mentioned that, you know, my mother has learned how to cook vegan food. You know, the, the, the figure of the mother still as one responsible for cooking in, a, in a family, the family meals, basically. So when they maybe went to visit their the family, it was their mother who, who cooked those meals. And then one of those indications of like how accepting your family members are of your veganism is, you know, um, whether and to what extent your your family or particularly your mother <laughs> learns mm. to cook these foods for the men. So that that was kind of interesting, and maybe we can see that you know those conservative um, um, this kind of division of labor is still maintained mm. in a way. Yeah, that's actually something um, Sandy and I were talking about before we started recording about like how difficult it can be for people to kind of bring these issues up, like in the family context, right? Like, um, you know, the, and, and the discomfort around actually, yeah, like saying that actually you are vegan or vegetarian and that actually kind of requires potentially some change in the people around you, doesn't it? If you're all eating together and that, that can make you feel guilty or it can make them feel guilty. And yeah, those can be difficult dynamics to juggle, can't they, I guess? Yeah. Yes, very much so. And uh, I um, I have a chapter in the book about uh, these interactions, you know, mm. that vegan men have uh, with their sort of birth families and friends. And um, and uh, if, if we talk about, you know, barriers um, uh, to veganism uh, for, for men and maybe for others, and this was identified as one of the main ones that, that you know, um, the kind of interactions, the difficult and uncomfortable interactions with others, with non-vegans, um, was really uh, um, like a difficult experience. And mm-hmm. uh, this was um, considered much more uh, difficult to manage than actually issues around, uh, you know, actual uh, eat food and eating and these material aspects, but these others, you know, which, which shows that how demonstrates how veganism is really, you know, you negotiate it. And in everyday settings, it's very relational and you have to negotiate, renegotiate. Um, mm-hmm. And this kinds of like... Um, explaining uh, to people um, uh, a lot you know and, and very repeatedly and people usually ask uh, the same things and you become a bit frustrated and and there's also some of those comments that you get are um, somehow unkind not everything mm-hmm. is very kind so responding to that and developing kind of strategies um, uh, was uh, was quite difficult and previous research actually has shown that um, also for other vegans uh, women and other 
at the weekends, this has also been considered like one of the barriers. So, so definitely it's not unique to, to men only. Yeah. Well, and it shows food is such a social thing, isn't it? As you said, it's not a simple case of what you choose to eat that day or something like that, but it's so shaped by these, by our social lives. Um, yeah, I, I was wondering if we could go back to what you were saying about kind of patriarchy as well, because I, I find that very interesting. And I think there's some really valuable insights, isn't there, which have been provided by kind of feminists and kind of eco-feminist theorists. Um, like I recently read, um, uh, yeah, I was encouraged by a friend and colleague, um, uh, Dr. Cassie Peterson, to read a book, uh, by the book The Sexual Politics of Meat, which I know is very, um, which has been very influential, hasn't it, for a long time in this area about thinking about the connections between like sexism and misogyny and how we treat animals and as you were saying kind of hierarchies and um how we objectify uh you know women and how we objectify animals as a way of legitimizing kind of uh mistreatment and violence really i mean yeah like do you want, do you want to say any more about that like what 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 are the connections between patriarchy and how we as humans kind of relate to other other animals yeah, definitely. So, I mean, Carol Adams's work has been really uh, influential in um, like critical animal studies and feminist animal studies, like mm. uh, basically demonstrating those links of, you know, exploitation of women mm. and animals mm. uh, and, you know, kind of animals. Um, um, so what she has talked about uh, is uh, kind of, um, yeah, their the reproductive capacities are exploited. You could, you yeah. could think that, you know, their eggs and, and milk mm. that are actually for their uh, offspring, then hum we humans uh, uh, um, uh, take them and use them, you know, we, mm. we take them away from them. And um, yeah, she has basically uh, drawn some parallels between, uh, like, the, the, you know, some animals are even sexualized and, you know, uh, drawn parallels be between um, the sexualization of, of women and animals in, in popular mm. culture. Uh, kind of uh, yeah, some images of chicken, a chicken with a with a bra or something, and you know really there's there's more of that. So um, yeah, and I, I talked about this um, kind of the role of men in this, and also as as kind of um, um, owning animals, and and when we think about uh, basically the the meat industry, um, which is vast, you know, and it's hugely profit making, the global uh, meat industry then who are the basically the owners and, and managers of those industries? Uh, they tend to be mostly uh, privileged Western white men who really are the owners and managers of the biggest uh, uh, meat uh, uh, producers on the planet. And, and they basically earn, earn uh, billions of, of dollars and euros of money. So and also, of course, men are represented as owners, uh, as um, uh, members of governments who are regulating those industries. So men have mm -hmm. a really big role on that sort of macro scale as well in this in this mm -hmm. process of of how you know um, how we how animals are still owned and mm -hmm. represented. Yeah, and presumably working workers in the industry as well are predominantly men. Absolutely, and, and that can't be a very nice job a lot of the time. Right? Actually, <laughs> that that's a good point that you bring up because. Um, work in, uh, in slaughterhouses is, is uh, known to be one of the most um, dangerous and damaging mm. kinds of work and damaging physically and mentally in terms of there are like a lot of injuries there and those workers tend to be very marginalized in different countries. Uh, there's a lot of research for instance in the US where uh, you know those workers are basically uh, are people who are migrants and they are p people of color and marginalized um, in, in different ways and so um, there's also environmental racism that is talked about uh, uh, in the context of, of um, animal farming, how um, there are these big, um, you know, 
animal farms and they are very polluting and then uh, who lives near those farms are very um, poor people and marginalized people of, of color maybe so um, so it's all, all really connected um, the kind of exploitation of, of animals and also people so this they're really important uh, links here yeah. And um, you mentioned earlier the, the links between masculinity, veganism and, and climate change. I wondered if you wanted to say a bit more about that. And, and I'm assuming you think that veganism is part of a solution to the climate change crisis that we and ecological crisis that we face. Is that right? Definitely. I, um, this is what I argue in my book, and I think it could be one of the ways forward. I don't claim that it's the only one, but I, I think that encouraging uh, veganism and um, well kind of vegan masculinity is is a, is a very uh, promising way forward uh, so so as I, I think mentioned earlier that men you know consume more uh, meat uh, globally than women and their ecological footprint then is higher uh, and and it's also known that um, uh, consuming animals is one of the most important among the most important drivers of climate change and not only climate change, but also different kinds of environmental uh, damage. Um, so, um, so definitely, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a big link here. Um, and I think that in this context where we are in, you know, I, I, I think uh, there are these uh, multiple crises that are, you know, crises of sustainability, uh, crises of um, inequalities, so different crises and. I think um, we, we see maybe already now a little bit, but that we, we might see more of kind of a, a transformation of masculinity in this context because we need to move away from these unsustainable ideals and practices of masculinity, uh, particularly, you know, given men's really important role in, uh, uh, in, in you know, meat consumption and, and owning these industries. So I think there should be some change and I'm uh, yeah, thinking that we could encourage uh, that kind of uh, change. And, and I'm not saying that veganism is the solution to um, all kinds of issues related to mas masculinity. You know, there are definitely some problematic aspects, like um, some men who, who, yeah, not necessarily, you know, uh, demonstrating care towards others. Some of it can, you can be vegan or have at least a plant, be on a plant-based diet uh, in a way that you are, um, concentrated mainly or only on your own health so it can be a sort of like a project of self-improvement self-enhancement that really aligns with some uh, neoliberal ideals individualism you know so there's different ways of being a vegan and yeah i guess what you're what you've been talking about is um the influence of what what you term i think anthropocentric masculinities is that right and uh, is that what you mean by anthropocentric masculinities? That it's kind of, you know, defined by a belief in sort of human superiority, if you like, and male superior superiority over animals yeah, in particular. Is that, is that what's meant by that? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean by that, that it's very uh, human-centered and uh, now there's a need to mo move um, away from that and to kind of towards post-anthropocentric uh, yeah. ideals that, that consider, um, um, you know, uh, the needs of, of other um, living beings, other, other species, um, also the environment. So uh, uh, so there the are a lot of problems with just uh, human-centered uh, uh, um, you know, values and practices, and we, I think we need to move mm. away from those. And in a way, then, the climate crisis, you, an ecological crisis, you could see as presenting some opportunities for positive change 
um, at the same time as you know having to deal with the the you know huge hugely damaging aspects. Yes, absolutely. So um, I see it as a point of that crisis actually does have some kind of opportunities. There are opportunities for really rethinking um, our unsustainable ways of living and being and coexisting with other other species, other living beings. So uh, it's just we, we hope that it doesn't happen too late, you know, <laughs> as we as um, you know, uh, we would need to already um, would have needed to make a profound change in our you know energy consumption and and um, uh, the kind of uh, pollutants um, and greenhouse gases that we are emitting. Uh, we have so it's sort of now is the point that we really really need to do this. Obviously, one thing I was wondering about as well. I mean, you've kind of mentioned a few of them already, but could you perhaps say a little bit more about you know what perhaps you you've come across in your research in terms of what some of the big barriers are that you know that that people in general but perhaps especially men face in terms of you know trying to become vegan like what are some of the main obstacles they've encountered in in doing that yes so um yeah i was a bit uh, probably surprised i thought that um kind of uh, access to uh, vegan food maybe would be a bigger obstacle uh, but it wasn't um and you know there were men who were really looking for those uh, specialty vegan products and things like that Mm, but uh, actually they are quite accessible, available in, in the context that I studied, Estonia and Finland. In a way, Estonia and Finland currently are like any other Western country in terms of the availability of these products and also vegan eateries and things. So that uh, mm, these material aspects um, were manageable really well, you know. And most of these men lived also in kind of urban areas and they are very privileged men, I should say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so this wasn't a big thing, but I think, as I mentioned, too, this kind of social uh, interactions were, were really, uh, really difficult and um, to manage them. And, and it was interesting, too, how uh, um, um, having been we- vegan for a while, uh, these men um, developed, you know, different strategies of how to manage those things. And, and first, uh, they, there would be a lot, you know, frustration and maybe even anger at, at these repeated questions. And particularly when they... Uh, really were confronted with this reality they had learned about uh, what the animal industry is and what it does and then um, there were all these emotions and they felt you know how come that people around me do not uh, share this uh, do not know about this or or why don't they act and there was this it was it was difficult to manage those initial feelings Mm. but after a few years I guess or (laughs) depending on on the person but it took some time and then uh, they basically uh, took a more more maybe calm approach in a way and um, and some even maybe said yeah that it's more rational to uh, just uh, try to uh, calmly persuade people and talk to them and it's no use you know getting angry and so basically um, uh, yeah they they were trying to uh, you know show and display uh, display empathy towards the non-vegans and they were thinking well once I, I used to eat meat and mm. meat and animal products and so let me try to see what matters to them and and also the, it was very contextual they were thinking uh, what arguments uh, would resonate with that person that i talked to so mm. maybe if they uh, there was a, a vegan man who mm, who maybe was was vegan for animals but then uh, they saw that for the person they were talking to the health aspects mattered the most and they would talk about that maybe so it very much adjusted to the person they spoke to so they really um, this interact these interactions were the most difficult, but I would say they uh, they developed strategies um, over the years, over some time, uh, how to manage those uh, interactions. Uh, but maybe I should also say, mm. 
hear about the masculinity aspect because that is considered often you know the huge barrier for men to uh, become vegan because uh, veganism is uh, feminized and mm. um, there are um, studies uh, still indicate that uh, uh, men who are who eat meat are considered more masculine and all that so mm. this was really interesting because these men mm. they saw uh, uh, this uh, as a barrier to other men but but not mm. really so much to themselves and in a way, you can think, well, it makes sense because they have overcome that barrier. Like for, mm. for them personally, uh, they didn't see a conflict between uh, their veganism and masculinity. You mm. know, they, for them, it was compatible. Um, but, but they were wor worried about other men. And, and they, in a way, they constructed themselves as, as different and as always mm. having been in some ways uh, different from others. Mm. And in a way, that kind of identity helped them to... Uh, adopt veganism and to to remain uh, vegan. Mm. Uh, for instance, the ways that they were different. They um, um, about for for some men, it was a particularly distinct uh, group of Finnish men uh, who uh, um, had kind of leftist politics and they had these values like gender equality. And so veganism mm. was kind of for them uh, compatible with these earlier values, mm. pacifism as well. And they they said like, well, I. I Basically, I was always different. I had these other values and people already considered me a little bit strange, different from others. So to adopt veganism for me was uh, uh, maybe a logical step or people were not shocked in a way. So, so in a way, they kind of uh, uh, incorporated this veganism into their identities uh, in a quite a successful uh, uh, way, I would say. Mm. So that was quite interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, because you do see... There is quite a lot of kind of mocking, isn't there? Maybe bullying and um, or denigration of, of vegan or vegetarian men as not being real men. Uh, like this whole idea of being a soy boy. Like, you know, here in the UK, like a, a politician, Suella Bravman, talked about like the tofu eating, wokarati. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, these ideas are quite, yeah, they, they are out there, aren't they? I wanted to ask you a little bit about... Uh... Cultural context as well. I mean, you, you mentioned you know, your research was conducted in Estonia and Finland, and presumably there, there are you know significant differences between these societies in terms of you know history and culture, their approaches to gender equality, and so on. I mean, I, I heard a program on the radio recently here, which talked about um, obesity in Finland and how there'd been a sort of state approach to to really try and deal with that from. I think it might have been about the 1980s onwards, you know, and getting people to eat less meat and more berries and so on and so forth. Um, so that there are different different traditions and cultures and histories that um, are relevant here. Uh, do you want to say a bit more about that? Yes, uh, sure. Uh, and I think it's very interesting to study these contexts that are normally or typically not studied in, in, in the context of veganism. And um, in fact, as I said, you know, if you think about the availability of products and you go to the shop and, and um, um, in major cities in Finland and Estonia, you have all these products available. It looks like any Western uh, um, uh, country. And uh, definitely it's it's very important, like, what vegans were talking about and as I mentioned these men are very privileged in my study and I, I kind of emphasize that so I can't really generalize this to like all vegan men but definitely they had access to these uh, these products uh, as, as western middle class consumers pretty much but I, I think maybe one thing um, there the climate is cold as you know in Estonia and Finland and so <laughs> one one obstacle that the men might face that uh, people would ask uh, so how you know it's so cold you have to eat meat <laughs> you know that's that's a thing but uh, so maybe that's a specific thing to that area 
But if we speak about uh, kind of some cultural and inst institutional differences uh, between Estonia and Finland, so definitely there are some significant ones that uh, shape uh, uh, vegan identities and practices. And um, uh, so Estonia is a post-Soviet country uh, and it um, got its uh, re-independence in 1991. And then veganism actually, of course, became available much, much later in Estonia than in Finland and in many countries that were you know, not, not occupied by, by this regime. Um, and also in Estonia, we really didn't have those, uh, you know, for a long time, those other progressive uh, social movements that would maybe align with veganism or support it in a way. And Finland, of course, had them, like the feminist movement, for instance. Um, and, and when you think of uh, kind of some institutional resistance, uh, which I've written about institutional re resistance to veganism. So in Estonia, you have a lot more of that than in Finland. Uh, for instance, uh, in Estonia, the national uh, uh, nutrition recommendations or the dietary guidelines, um, so, uh, so far, they, uh, they do not support veganism and they are even against it. And they are like, um, you know, they, they de depict veganism as dangerous to people. So, of course, that impacts uh, the way that people, <laughs> whether they take up veganism. Um, and also medical doctors in Estonia are not so well informed about veganism. Um, but I, I would say about and, and gender equality is another, another issue that Finland has um, overall um, higher levels of gender equality. And that means also that... Um, you know, more alternative ways of doing masculinity are supported culturally. Um, and that means that uh, it is in a way easier for men to become vegan, um, at least for the privileged man, because um, um, veganism is a sort of alternative uh, practice for men. And so to take that up is, is um, easier for men than in a more kind of... Uh, traditional context in terms of uh, gender relations. And, and this is important because um, the context, um, the macro kind of institutional cultural context that we um, are in uh, shape uh, our ways of our everyday practices, including veganism. And is there a criticism made that veganism is something for, you know, white, privileged, Western people generally and, you know, uh, look at developing countries and, you know, the suffering there and the, the um, symbiotic relationships with animals that some people have in developing countries, you know, is, are there criticisms around that as well? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, um, so, yeah, there's a kind of some debates about that, um, particularly in the US and, and where, um, you know, veganism is accused to be or said to be a very like white um, uh, elitist uh, practice and available to white people who are, you know, uh, um, so many vegans of color have said that they do not really, uh, these white perspectives um, do not understand uh, maybe the barriers that um, more marginalized people uh, face uh, in adopting veganism. And there, yeah, definitely there have been very problematic assumptions that, uh, okay, like um, veganism is only for the animals and we shouldn't even bring issues of race here, for instance. And that, of course, this is really problematic. And uh, uh, obviously we have to consider race here because um, there are links between how, uh, you know, uh, animals are, have been uh, represented and exploited as well as how marginalized people, people of color have been exploited and, and represented. So we have to take this critique seriously. Uh, but then again, there are these mm, really, um, I've been really inspired by some uh, um, uh, indigenous scholars, for instance, who actually um, uh, take veganism seriously and, and say that, well, um, 
uh, it is compatible with our worldviews. I don't want to generalize. Of course, there are very different mm. indigenous traditions in different places. But uh, when you think of, um, um, you know, how um, meat and dairy products are, are everywhere and they are now uh, um, also being consumed a lot and increasingly in societies where they didn't used mm. to be consumed mm. so much like in China and in many other places. And we can think... Um, how in, in a lot of contexts, um, colonization involved introducing cattle and, mm. and these animals that people kept into these places that actually destroyed a lot of the landscapes, the livelihoods of local indigenous mm. people. So in a way that has been called like also a form of colonialism. And this like uh, colonizing the diet mm. is kind of uh, what some scholars of color, indigenous scholars have noted how um, our diets have been colonized. And in order to decolonize them, uh, we, sh we should think of... Um, ditching animal products and maybe thinking of what are some local plant-based foods and that's a way to kind of um, uh, resist the colonialism and the leg these legacies and, and also these corporations that continue to exploit us in a way so i think uh, yeah these approaches are, are very interesting and inspiring yeah and i think you know even here in the uk i don't think we used to eat as much meat or dairy as we do now you know like actually it's quite a recent phenomenon to consume it in the in the amounts that we do now um but 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 one thing i was thinking about as well um because i lived in finland for a while and um one thing which was amazing there was you know at the university and at, at schools you know uh, and in the workplace i think as well you know you would have like there would be canteens with and, and maybe you have this in estonia as well I, I don't know but like you know canteens with like really good quality cheap lunches which everybody could have and it's quite a nice social thing and there would always be like a good vegetarian or vegan option there as well so i suppose that shows doesn't it that actually this isn't just about individual responsibility this is about our institutions and organizations like structurally embracing veganism and vegetarianism i mean yeah do you want to say anything about that that how is this not just an you know an individual problem i suppose yeah yeah, absolutely. And that's such a good point that you're making here. Um, indeed, in Finland, I have uh, lived there myself uh, and, and I always um, I loved really the Hel University of Helsinki canteen yeah. where for, for quite a cheap price, you could get a, a really good filling yeah. uh, vegan meal. Yeah. And uh, um, in Estonia, unfortunately, yeah, that's one of the issues when you think of the difference is that there is not that institutional support yeah. and, and students actually pay a lot for their meals and they do not get still... Uh, uh, nutritious vegan meals so that is a huge problem and so institutions have a fundamental role mm. in, in shaping our food practices and, and other uh, ways of life and, and actually one, one example that is interesting in, the, in this context um, um, uh, so in Estonia and Finland and this relates to masculinity uh, there's a compulsory military service mm. for men so they have to like uh, go there pretty much and among the research participants um, of mine um, there was this distinct uh, group of Finnish men uh, with that I mentioned with these like pacifist uh, lefty uh, kind of values um, that they uh, basically either they were conscientious objectors or they uh, chose this alternative service that you can choose in a way that you do uh, some kind of uh, usually kind of feminized social work or care work, which is also interesting from the perspective of masculinity. Mm. Uh, but those who did go to the army, you, you have the option of, of uh, getting in Finland uh, like a, a nutritious plant-based meals there. Mm. So, so this is what the institution provides. Mm. And in Estonia, uh, it's, it's, um, they're not providing this really. Mm. So as a vegan man, it's, it's very, very difficult for you. Um, so this, this is a way of how like institutions um, Obviously, uh, uh, this doesn't make uh, the Finnish army um, in any way um, 
like a good institution or a vegan institution because uh, they just provide plant-based <laughs> meals. But obviously the army has got its mm. other huge uh, problems mm. as an institution. But but yeah. Talk, mm. Talking about institutions, you'll be amused at that. Uh, I'm here, I'm talking, talking from Oxford in, in the UK and uh, our local council here, uh, which is a Labour-controlled council, has tried to introduce vegan meals for all its meetings. And there's been a huge fight about this, you know, and people have been walking out and, you know, going to the pub and all kinds of... And, and actually, I think that's happening in other councils around the country as well. So uh, so your point about institutions is, is well made, but it's, it's also quite contested, isn't it? It is, yes. But actually, uh, Helsinki, if I'm not mistaken, the city of Helsinki has a rule now that uh, all the events that are organized by the municipality must have plant-based meals only, if I'm not mistaken. And this is a big step, in fact, mm. um, that institutions can take. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's also it's also something for NGOs to think about as well, isn't it? You know, I mean, we, Stephen and I are part of uh, Men Engage um, Alliance and, you know, they have meetings um, and, you know, we have discussed whether... Uh, at least a core part of those meetings if they if food is involved should should actually be vegan you know it hasn't always been the case in the past and and actually probably it should be but, well it's uh, good that there are discussions about this and uh, maybe it will no, change definitely yeah. definitely but, but i wanted to ask you also about not just the relationship between institutions and, and veganism but also about um veganism and, and activism too um you know so I think in a way you, you've said something about veganism being an individual practice, but it's also a basis for sort of collective action as well, isn't it? So, and, and you know, individuals may sit in a different place in relation to how they see themselves on that continuum. Uh, do you want to comment on that? Yes, and this is interesting. Um, um, I guess uh, veganism, uh, whether uh, it is called activism, it's a bit contested, you know, because usually it's also depending on what we view as um, as activism in a way. Um, and um, sometimes uh, we think of just that there's an, a formal organization and these people come together and do some actions. But veganism, you know, as you note, that um, people are sort of... Uh, doing something individually but in a way it's been uh, some of the according to some of the definitions it's called the lifestyle activism there's such a term but but for me I, th I really think it is a form of activism and um, I guess my uh, idea of activism is is quite broad um, of course I wouldn't want to include everything under the umbrella of activism but um, I think uh, there's an important concept called everyday activism which I like and uh, it's sort of uh, basically what to do and your material practices as well on an everyday level. And I think veganism fits with that definition. Uh, so definitely, even if you maybe uh, are not participating in, you know, demonstrations and do these more traditional things that are um, uh, 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 associated with activism and social movements, you still do really significant uh, material things and you, know, you do not consume uh, uh, these animal products and um, mm, so that is significant in itself I think. Mm. Mm. I was actually thinking about um, the kind of overlaps with like pro-feminist activism which is I suppose very much also about kind of everyday activism isn't it and uh, but also can perhaps be quite isolating because I guess you know there aren't that many pro-feminist men out there so perhaps it can feel quite lonely at times and um, so the importance even if it is quite 
uh, everyday activism that you're doing of connecting with other people, feeling part of a community. Um, yeah, uh, the um, what the one thing I just wanted to ask about, um, which you've kind of pointed to already, but but like, what do you think, um, or what has your research shown to be some of the impacts that veganism has has on men's relationships? You know, with, with them, their relationships with themselves, like their own health and well-being, but also with other people um, or or other other living things in their lives. Right? Do, does it have an impact on those relationships? Like, does it lead to a greater embrace of care, for example, um, in your experience? Um, yeah, that's a very important question that I touched upon in in my book and. Um, I did argue that, you know, uh, becoming vegan encourages greater care for, for others as well as self-care. And uh, in a way that, yes, the men spoke about definitely this increasing uh, sense of care towards uh, animals um, that they developed in the process of becoming vegan, but also like more consideration of others. And actually there's that notion of caring masculinity by Carla Elliott and some others who use that. So I think it aligns well with that. Uh, but I think it's really, um, we must be also careful in, in drawing some profound conclu conclusions based on this. Um, because, you know, as I said, if you, if you uh, um, are vegan, uh, maybe only for health reasons, and you practice this self-care, it can be very individualistic and maybe not like, it, there's not so much care for, for others, it's directed towards the self. And um, so I think uh, that for care to be meaningful, it must be primarily other directed and, and produce some kind of uh, positive change. But then this, uh, on the other hand, it was encouraging to see how these men uh, um, in kind of interpersonal relationships, they, they practice more care and empathy, like in trying to understand the non-vegans position, you know, with friends and family members and, and uh, really like there was this consideration of others, how, how they feel, you know, and uh, it was interesting how there were some men who spoke about not wanting uh, them to feel uncomfortable, you know, because often when a vegan simply walks into the room or, or says mm -hmm. they're vegan, not anything else, then people often feel mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So some of the men were really conscious of this and tried to mitigate this somehow and mm -hmm. think of how they can make others comfortable. So I think it was a sort of interesting form of care. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think uh, the, the findings are a little bit mixed here, but I think there's potential for, for greater care mm -hmm. here. Thanks. I, I liked your phrase in uh, everyday activism as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess it's a kind of combination of things, mm -hmm. isn't it, really? But uh, I don't know about you, but we've done an hour and um, I'm kind of thinking I need to go and uh, have some food. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> I'll take a cup of tea. <laughs> so, yes. so I just, uh, um, you know, I, I would just say thank you so much yeah. for, for joining us for this episode today. Uh, it's been really uh, fascinating to hear you talk about your book and, and, you know, all these issues that you're working on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really a pleasure to talk to you and thanks for the interesting questions. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Well, all that talk of uh, food, Stephen, it made me think of um, that time we went to uh, Ole and Steen. I think it's Ole and Steen. It might be Ollie and Steen. Danish um, cafe. And we had uh, cinnamon buns that were vegan. And, uh, well, for all our listeners, I, I recommend them. They were really nice. But uh, <laughs> um, what did you make of the conversation, uh, Stephen? <laughs> Yeah, I really think we should consider a sidebar, a side podcast in uh, <laughs> trying out different cinnamon buns and, and vegan cinnamon buns. Yeah, they were, they were really good. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that conversation uh, with Kadri. Um, one thing which crossed my mind was how, uh, you know, one of the nice things I think about what Kadri was saying is how veganism potentially offers 
you know, a, a different way of, of, of being a man right? or, or opening up and challenging some of the dominant ideas about masculinity, which extend far beyond food um, and affect all areas of one's life and, and perhaps provide a positive way of men, you know, embracing more caring, sustainable, healthy, happy ways of being, right? I think that's really quite a, a nice thing, which seems to have happened with a lot of the the men that she spoke to in her research. Um, but I suppose, yeah, perhaps we should also be wary of romanticizing these things too much or, or losing that kind of critical lens because I think we can see as well that, you know, veganism doesn't necessarily uh, come with gender equality or a loss of kind of patriarchal... Uh, I think in some ways it does challenge some of these patriarchal ideas in society, but in the, it doesn't have to, I guess, does it? Because... Um, I mean, as Kadri herself said, you know, we do see that some vegan men might kind of advocate for that on the basis of quite traditionally masculine ideas about being strong, being rational, being very, you know, physically fit. I think you can see as well that perhaps some food companies, you know, as we see more more food companies getting on the kind of vegan bandwagon as it becomes increasingly popular, perhaps they're recognising that there is this gap there in the market, you know, that there aren't as many men eating plant-based foods currently. And so they're trying to, you know, um, lure them in with quite macho advertising sometimes, right? Like, you know, real men eat tofu or, you know, uh, things, things like that. Or, or yeah, trying to, try to make the case that actually you can be strong whilst being vegan um yeah so perhaps like, veganism doesn't necessarily challenge some of these ideas about masculinity even though i think often it, it does doesn't it well i just wanted just to add to what you were saying there what, what do you think about a whole sort of identity of being a vegan because that, mm. that you know it does seems like it seems like there's potentially a bit of a package there you mm. know it's and and mm. um okay for some some men some people it, it, it's just uh, an aspect of their lifestyle, but as mm. Kadri was saying, it, it goes, it can go well beyond that to be sort of basis for collective action and so on and so mm. forth. Uh, and in some ways, I mean, you know, I'm talking as someone who uh, regards himself as vegetarian for for probably 40 years with very mm. occasional lapses. But I, I find the sort of um, uh, going the whole hog. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Going the whole hog <laughs> to veganism, <laughs> God, um, uh, uh, slightly tricky. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit absolutist for me personally. You know, and I understand the sort of uh, uh, vegan society definition of minimizing harm mm. to animals. Mm. Clearly, that's important, but abolishing harm seems to me to be something you know that's that's a bit, a bit. I mean, if it was possible, fine, but I don't think it is possible, mm. um, you know, for myself anyway. So so what's your, what, what do you think your relationship would be with the notion, the identity of being vegan? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd definitely like to become vegan. That's definitely an aspiration I've got, um, because I do think that the meat and dairy industries are just causing such huge harm, really, aren't they? Both to other animals, but also to our environment, um, for all the reasons that Kadri discussed um, but it is a challenge isn't it and I, I think maybe um, different approaches will work better with different people right so perhaps for some people that shift in identity could be very appealing and, and powerful um, but for other people it might feel quite scary or intimidating or a kind of step too far for them um, and I guess ultimately you know these problems we're facing are so urgent that anything we can do um, to reduce people's consumption of meat and dairy 
um, the better, right, in terms of helping us to tackle climate change and reduce the harm that is caused to other animals. So yeah, perhaps we want to aim to encourage as many as people as possible to embrace veganism, but also just, just reducing the meat and dairy that we all consume would already be a really important step forward, wouldn't it? Well, I also was thinking whilst Kadri was talking about uh, George Monbiot's work, you know, George, environmentalist, long-standing journalist, and he, he's written quite a bit about this sort of area and I remember seeing a, a documentary a TV documentary that he did mm-hmm. um, which I think was about um, food farming methods and and relationship with animals and so on and at one point in that film mm-hmm. uh, he takes it upon himself to go out with a, a ranger mm-hmm. and actually kill a deer mm-hmm. um, on the basis that deer have been you know overgrazing much mm. of the countryside, particularly in Scotland, but other areas of the UK as well. And there's mm. actually too many of them. Mm. And, you know, he was traumatised by having by feeling that he should do this. Um, and so I think that, that there are some, some contradictions in there. What do we do about, mm. you know, um, things like overgrazing or, you know, a surfeit of particular kinds of animals? How does that fit with, with veganism, I suppose? Um, so I wondered about that. And there was a couple of other things that weren't mentioned, which I thought were interesting as well. One was about uh, animals being used for sport and entertainment, you know, and we have discussions here about the Grand National, well, activism against the Grand National, uh, famous horse race, but also vivisection arguments as well. Mm. So that's uh, another aspect of it, which I don't think was talked about. And final thought was on on the uh, pandemic. And, of course, Mm. there is the possibility that... um, you know, the next pandemic, and we can expect that there's going to be one or several, will be zoonotic in origin, will be about transmission from animals to humans, you know, and we're, we're very, very close to a pandemic uh, with H5N1 bird mm. flu. Mm. So uh, your point about workers in the industry, yeah, uh, mm. that, that sort of hit home for me as well. I thought that's very, very important, you know, yeah. so we need, have, yeah. need to think about these dimensions too. So, um yeah, that's it. What about you? Any other points? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess um, just what you said about George Mumbio, I suppose there is an argument there as well, isn't there, that perhaps we shouldn't eat anything that we wouldn't be prepared to kill ourselves, really, right? And um, yeah, it makes me think about, you know, why is it that we as humans think we do have the right to kind of use and exploit and kill other animals um, for our own benefit? You know, so yeah, I can't help but think again about Carol Adams in the links she makes between the kind of the ways in which we as humans subordinate other animals and the ways in which women are subordinated in our society. For example, in terms of um, how they can both be reduced to being objects, to being body parts and how that can help to legitimize violence against them, really. yeah, so I was thinking about, uh, you know, what you said about the whole hog, for example, right? I think that's a good example of how quite violent language about animals and the kind of celebration of violence towards animals is very ingrained in our language, isn't it? And Carol Adams talks about the kind of this idea of the absent referent, right? So even when we're talking about things like um, meat eating, we often kind of try to hide the fact that we are actually talking about the killing and suffering of, of other animals, other living beings. 
Yeah, and it's also, I think all of the things you said are so gendered as well, aren't they? And I was thinking about hunting as another good example of oh, course, this is yeah. something which is a very masculinized practice. But, but yeah, there's so many different issues to explore, so we'll have to do more podcasts on this. Um, but yeah, for now, thank you so much for listening. Yep, thank you very much, and uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, and um, as always, do email us at nowmen at gmail.com if you have any um, questions or comments, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you.